see it, don't need to. Didn't see it. Hello, I am Sarah Miller, and welcome to Didn't See It, Don't Need To, a podcast that asks the eternal question, how much shit can you give to a movie that you have never seen? I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Clover. Hello, Joshua. How are you this fine evening? Hello, Sarah. Hello, listeners. Hello, world. I'm delightful. I'm always excited to talk about French films. Ah, yes. Le Cinema de France. So the movie that we did not do for this week is uh, Snow White. Is it just called Snow White? No, in translation, because its title, I'll have you know, is in French. In translation, it's called White as Snow. Oh, it is? Okay, I thought in the New York Times it said Snow White. Does it say White as Snow? You know, I'm not here to tell you about reality, Sarah. (laughs) You should live in your own reality and enjoy it. But I'm pretty sure the New York Times says White as Snow. Okay, you're probably right. You know, I don't think the New York Times is right about everything, but I think they probably got the title of this movie right. Okay, White as Snow. What is it in French? Um, I, I believe it's Blanc comme Neige. Oh, okay, okay. I was wondering how to say Neige. Okay, yeah, I had the first thing. Blanc comme Neige. Okay. Well, I have some opening remarks about this film, and I am basically a fan of French film. I I will even watch some really, really horrible French films, as you probably know from being friends with me. And this is a movie I probably would not watch. So I feel like this is a French movie uh, about how hot young women are. And if it was an American movie about how how hot young women are, this would be demonstrated with uh, cleavage, suntan oil, maybe like a lumbar curve against a sunset. Um, But because this is a French movie about how hot young women are. And the the picture that the New York Times has for their review, which is, and the review is really short. Uh, And I, you know what? I only read one review for this. So I felt like that was enough. Uh, The picture the New York Times has for this review is the lead actress eating an apple and she's actually eating it. She's not eating it like with the core and the the stem sort of um, perpendicular to the, to the ground, uh, parallel to the ground, the core is, the, the stem is up. So she's sort of taking this interesting kind of bite from an apple, which I don't think is kind of cinematic. Uh, and, and anyway, this is the way that French people show young women being hot is by having them eat things sensuously. Uh, and the, this, the review does say that this movie deploys or contains lavish sensuality. So. I think this is basically going to be a, a, a movie with lots of chewing, of lots of moving of lips, pushing of like errant food into those lips, uh, fingers soaked in fruit juice, uh, shiny with uh, grease. I would like to point out the most iconic scene of a young woman eating to show uh, her uh, sensuality uh, is in the movie uh, Blue is the Warmest Color, a movie that I, I love and watch regularly, in which uh, Adele Xarchopoulos eats spaghetti and is sucking the spaghetti off of her plate very aggressively. And 
eating with her mouth open and chewing in this way that just suggests that she has unbounded appetites. And I was trying, I was looking up her last name. I knew her name was Adele. I couldn't remember Exartropolis. And I looked her up on, on Wikipedia and saw that the director said, I chose Adele the minute I saw her. I had taken her for lunch at a brasserie. She ordered lemon tart. And I saw, when I saw the way she ate it, I thought it's her. So anyway, that's what this movie is to me. Uh, thank you very much for that. And our reviews, I will say, are somewhat related. I'm going to offer a fairly extensive review of this film based on, and I think our listeners will have seen this coming, based on not having seen it. Uh, we're new with no intentions to do so. So what I'm really interested in about this movie is what genre it is or what genre it thinks it is or what genre it's pretending to be. And most obviously, I think it sort of thinks it's the genre of like a variation on a fairy tale. I'm saying the most obvious things now, and I hope you'll forgive me. And like, that's a kind of genre, right? The, the fairy tale variation, the twist, the, the revision, the reconception. And that in some ways fits within this larger genre of like the sequel, the franchise, the movie based on a famous novel, where there's pre-existing intellectual property. You don't, you know, you don't really have to hire a writer to come up with an original idea. And so it sort of says, well, that's, that's what, what genre. I'm not sure that's the case. It might just be, and this is where our reviews intersect, the genre of French films about young women making free with their sexuality in ways that greatly annoy older ladies while satisfying older men. Right, which, um, which is, you know, a genre the French are good at. You know, one version is like the film Swimming Pool, which, you know, I thought was a fine movie. Although my fear is it shares with this movie the fact that the, the fundamental lead, the young woman in question in this movie played by someone named Lou de Lage, uh, in that movie played by Ludovine Sagné. And that like, you know, I thought Ludovine Sagné was kind of good in that and a couple other movies, but she sort of vanished. I'm hoping this genre isn't a career killer, but in the end, I'm not sure that that's the genre this film is in because even that genre can be, you know, you know, slaughtered into other genres. Like I could imagine like a French version of the Marvel universe. Like let's say like L'Univers Marvel, where Marvel girl just cruises around banging geriatric randos while Susan Storm grows more and more envious and appalled. But I don't think that's the right genre either. Finally, this is an Isabelle Huppert film. And I wanna stress that that's a genre. I'm not sure people are entirely clear on the extent of the Isabelle Huppert universe. Isabelle Huppert has made 50 movies since 2008. Isabelle Huppert made six movies in 2000. She is a genre, and I want to be clear about what that genre is and who Isabel Huppert is, because, of course, we as Americans like to sort of grovel and prostrate ourselves, although resentfully, before French culture. We like to talk about a genius Isabel Huppert is and talent, you know, talented and brilliant and amazing. Isabel Huppert is basically Nick Cage. Isabel Huppert makes an infinite number of movies. She's incredibly histrionic, although she's histrionic in a French way. Nick Cage is histrionic in an American way, but she's histrionic. She makes endless movies. Lots of them are trash. Some of them are excellent. She's kind of interesting and she just keeps cranking them out. And, and, and like, we should just admit, Isabelle Huppert is not a genius artist 
or she is, but only if we admit that about Nick Cage, because they're basically the same. Maybe best case scenario is about Luke Huppert is Jennifer Jason Lee, um, who's also made a bunch of movies, who's a great actor, uh, but who sort of just keeps on making movies, doesn't get the acclaim that Isabel Huppert gets, uh, but I think is every bit as good and moreover was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, a far greater movie than anything Isabel Huppert has ever been in. Uh, so in that case, I'm going to give Jennifer Jason Lee the nod. And I just want to sort of clarify that as we think about who's in this movie and what kind of movie it is. And having offered that as an account of this film, I want to now turn to our repeating questions that we have on each podcast, although I will note in advance so that no one dies of surprise that we've swapped out one of our questions for a new question, courtesy Sarah Miller. Uh, this week, which we'll come to shortly. But before we get to the new question, a classic. Sarah, what is the thing that you would be dreading the most while watching this movie if you watched it? Uh, thank you for your opening remarks and thank you for mentioning Swimming Pool. I just want to say that and then I will answer, now I will answer this question. I would most be dreading the middle of this film because I think that the beginning would be tolerable. The beginning would be Isabelle Huppert, this other woman, we would see them in a uh, nice, uh, interesting, beautiful setting. Maybe we would see them wearing some nice outfits. There'd be the clicking of shoes upon marble, which I enjoy, and that would be fine. And it, it, the setup, and then we have this thing where she has to see all these different seven men, I guess, like there's seven sort of trials she has to get through. And that seems really tedious. So I would be dreading the entire middle. And then of course, I mean, the end wouldn't be very good either, but the end of the, so the beginning would be okay. And the middle would be insufferable. And the, at least at the end, you're like, oh, this is gonna end soon. And you're like, oh, I'm so excited. You're gonna eat, you're gonna get a drink. It's gonna be, I'm not gonna be watching this movie anymore. And I will now, uh, oh, oh, yes, sorry. I was about to ask you the second question, but you have to answer that question too. I mean, I'm glad you consider skipping it since I'm not sure I have a great answer to this question. Uh, and, and indeed, again, I think you sort of have a, an ideal answer. I, I, don't, I don't think I have that much to add to it. I would, yeah, I, I, the same thing, but right, the mechanism in some sense, which is the same thing as the middle of like, well, so they've accepted the Snow White premise. So there has to be seven something, and like seeing how they solve that problem and like fulfilled the mechanism so they could say it was kind of like the fairy tale while still doing their own thing. That would just annoy the shit out of me for sure. I find it very gratifying that we had very similar answers for that. Um, and I will now ask you the second question, which is why will you not be seeing this movie? Here's why I can live without seeing this movie. So, you know, you confessed, I don't know if it's a confession exactly, maybe that's unfair, but let me roll with it. You confess early on that you like French cinema. I will more or less go along with that. I wouldn't say I necessarily like it, but I've had periods in my life where I watched a bunch of it. In fact, I will admit I'm a total cliche. Like, I, you know, in high school, in French class, they showed us a Godard movie and I thought it was amazing. So I watched all the Godard movies and it's pretty much true that all the ones in the 60s are kind of amazing and you know, I have a certain amount of space for French cinema. I like that guy, Olivier Assayas, and so on. So fine. That said, 
there's a thing about French cinema that's not specifically French. I think it goes with art movies in general. And quite unfortunately, American art movies have inherited it uh, sort of without much reflection, which is the way that you prove that you're intellectually, emotionally, morally serious is just to be slow. And like, there's nothing about the real world that makes sense of that. The things about the real world that are serious or important or, or intellectually or morally serious are not slow. They happen at normal speed or they happen quite fast. They're often quite dramatic. And the idea that like slowness is the mark of quality and thoughtfulness and seriousness, I don't know where people got that idea. But one of the places that idea lives is in French cinema. And I can tell this movie is going to be at moments, if not all the way through, slow. And I just don't want it. I don't need it. I'm not going to see it. How about you, Sarah Miller? Why can you live without seeing this movie? My answer is similar in that if I was had a hankering to watch this movie about like an older woman being like sort of jealous yet irritated by a younger woman, I would just watch Swimming Pool again. <laughs> Swimming Pool just has a good story. And this movie seems like it has filler to go with the idea of an older woman being jealous of a younger woman. So I will not be seeing this movie because I would just watch Swimming Pool again. And I really agree. I've never heard that sort of articulated before about the slow thing. And I really uh, agree that that is not a mark of quality being slow. I really Although think I do like some movies that are slow, but it's not because they're slow. I really think that we're helpfully putting the concept of this podcast to a test by uh, in an extremely unfair way comparing a movie we haven't seen to a movie we have seen. But that's exactly what this podcast is for. I agree. It is obvious to me that Swimming Pool is a much better movie than White as Snow. Obvious to me. Uh, and that is in no way related to the fact that I've seen one of them and not seen the other. It's just obvious anyone could tell. So I think we can now move on to the third question. Is that correct? Are we at the third question? Well, since you invented this question, I want to encourage you to formulate it as you would. Under what possible circumstances could you come closest to seeing this film, which you would, of course, not actually see, but what, what circumstances might drive you towards the, the closest to the possibility of seeing it? Yeah, so this is a, an interesting, challenging question, and I'll admit it's, it's hard for me to imagine any circumstance, but I want to take the question seriously. I want to give it a go. So I can imagine the following circumstance. A friend of mine, I don't have many friends, but I have a couple, contacts me and says, hey, did you know that? And then names, oh, let's say an idiosyncratic but charming French pop star is in that movie. I'm going to go with Ophelie Winter. Ophelie Winter was a model in France in the late 90s who then released a couple of albums that were sort of like imitation Christina Aguilera, except not a great singer, but I kind of liked Ophelie Winter. And so if I said like, oh, and yeah, you could imagine like Ophelie Winter was a model, could be cast in a movie. Sure, I'll go with it. So if I had a friend who said, hey, did you know that Ophelie Winter has three lines in White as Snow? 
And I'd be like, ZOMG, haven't thought of or seen Ophelia Winter in 20 years. Um, I'll go check it out. And then I would be like, is that even worth my $11, my two hours of my life? And the last second I'd be like, nah, and I wouldn't see the movie. How about you, Sarah Miller? What would have to happen in the world for you to come excruciatingly close to seeing this movie, but then no, not see it? I love that your answer had to do with the movie itself, because my answer is, is, so, is a social pressure answer. And so I could picture being maybe at my brother's house with his wife and their children and my parents and my partner and everyone's trying to figure out what movie to see. And this movie is like very close to a movie that maybe everyone would see that, ha that have not seen it. Although my partner would be at this point. And, and, and you know what? I would actually be close to relenting and seeing it just because it's from France. It's the cinema of France. But then, and that, so it, since it's this circumstance and there's all these people there, I would be close to seeing it, but my partner would have such a fit that it would not be seen. I think that's true. There's like one of the underlying truths there, right? Is that sometimes we see movies with groups of people because if we didn't agree to that movie, we would end up being drawn into seeing a worse movie. Uh, and, and, you know, I could, I could imagine that also as a possibility. I was with a group of people and I had the feeling that uh, if I didn't agree to see White as Snow with everyone, they would instead, uh, you know, want me to see some hyper experimental uh, film, uh, you, you know, that, that didn't even have the, the decency to be made in France, uh, but was but was just artistic uh, <laughs> and even more artistic. And, and you know, so these things happen and, and uh, it's, it's worth it's worth gaming them out as we do. So we know what our moves are going to be. Uh, at the last moment. I think this is a, use, a useful sort of war game, as, as it were, for keeping up our habit of didn't see it, don't need to. So now we come to the final passage of the podcast, which is where we design not uh, weekly, regular questions, but bespoke questions for each other, uh, specifically about this movie. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a try. For, and since you've, you've spoken of your love for French cinema, maybe you've already answered this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What's your favorite French film and why? My favorite French film is called uh, Look at Me. I can't tell you who directed it because I don't think she's super famous, but she directed it with her husband. I think his last name is Bakri and I can't remember her name, but it's about, uh, it's called Look at Me. The French title is Comme un Hommage. And it's about this girl who's fat and she wants to be an opera singer. And her dad is a literary writes like literary fiction and is very famous in France and is like a complete asshole, sort of like Philip Roth type person. And it's about her trying to have enough self-confidence to try to become an opera singer when her dad doesn't have any interest in her talent or doesn't think that she is worth anything because she's not conventionally attractive. And it came out like in 2004 or something. And it is so good. And I've seen it many times. And it has a lot of really good opera singing in it. I'm just going to go ahead and note that this is our fourth podcast, I believe. And the fourth time that Sarah Miller has raised a father-daughter. 
crush crush universal. We are we are uh, un unbroken string here uh, on that topic. We'll see what happens at our next podcast, but but stay tuned for developments, listeners. <laughs> That's so funny because I just read a book about analysis by I read August by Judith Rossner, which is uh, is all of, which is all about that as well, which is very interesting. Okay, so the first line of this New York Times review: Whatever rehabilitation wicked stepmothers have undergone of late encounters a setback in white as snow. Isabelle Huppert brings Frost to her role as Maud and the director Anne Fontaine's blah blah blah. Okay. Do you think wicked stepmothers have undergone of late rehabilita rehabilitation? <laughs> because I, 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 this seemed to be referencing some sort of cultural something that I was unaware of. And I just was wondering if, if I was just missing something. So I'm not sure that I feel like I have sort of an omniscient overview of culture to say there's been like a general change in the stepmom zeitgeist but so on the one hand i sort of know what they mean uh, which is to say i think there have been a few tv shows and movies and whatnot where the stepmom actually turns out to be really understanding and helpful and the one who supports the the, the daughter right the kid uh, in whatever struggles that they're having i feel like there have been some of those so Maybe. On the other hand, I see you trying to interrupt me, but let me keep going. On the other hand, you know, the whole theme of the wicked stepmom, right, is a specific historical theme having to do with the drama that befalls culture during a period when only access women have to wealth is marrying into it. And the scheming woman who comes along and breaks up a marriage to get down it to get access to wealth. And if there's been a change in the stepmom social, you know, cultural dynamics of how we feel about stepmoms, it probably mostly has to do with changes in the dynamics of wealth acquisition, to be honest. So, you know, it annoys me that the New York Times makes these sort of claims about cultural zeitgeist that don't bother to think about substantial issues that surround them. Who is your favorite of the seven dwarfs? Let me recap who they are. Sneezy, sleepy, happy, doc, grumpy, dopey, or bashful? Um, I'm gonna go ahead and answer that question with a, an off-menu choice. I once lived in a student co-op in Berkeley, California, quite a large student co-op. I don't wanna suggest it was like, you know, five youth. There was, there was 190 residents. It was a huge student co-op and it was in a large building and it had a lot of graffiti all around it. And in one of the stairwells, there was a graffiti about the new seven dwarves and it listed them all off. And the last one was Kafka-esque. And I believe me, when I was like 18 years old and stoned out of my mind, I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. So yes, my favorite dwarf is Kafka-esque. Thank you for asking. Let me now ask you my final question for you. So in our last podcast, we talked about the genre of the true crime uh, uh, film. And, and I asked you to speculate on possible other true crime films. Similar question this time, since we're on fairy tales, which one would you choose out of all the fairy tales in the world as a stealth way to tell your own life story? Oh, what fairy tale would I select to tell my own life story? Dumbo? Is Dumbo a fairy tale? No. Although I wouldn't stop, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to 
block you from your bliss. Yeah, Dumbo. I don't even know what Dumbo's about. Um, let's say I might have to say Sleeping Beauty because only in the sense that I I I went out with like every single person that I went out with was pretty much terrible. I had two boyfriends that were okay. And anyone listening to this will have to think, well, is I one of those? Eh, probably not. And then when when I was 43 years old, I met my boyfriend that I have now, who is like he- heads and shoulders above all of the other boyfriends that times a million. So I would have to say uh, that Sleeping Beauty in the sense that I, I was just dormant waiting for, uh, or, or even Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella. I just wait, I was waiting, I was asleep. And then I was finally, uh, I finally was kissed by the prince and I, and I woke up. I support your answer because as it happens, not only have I met you in person, I've met your boyfriend in person and I support your answer. Your boyfriend is lovely. Although I was ready for you to give me the Goldilocks and the three bears answer. Oh, okay. Wait, too cold, too hot. Too, too hot, too cold, just right. Too small, too big, just right. How about like, what? things. It's about someone who um, tries out all the things and is not, you know, just an enthusiast, but is very sort of careful and thoughtful about uh, what's going to be the right way to go. Interesting. I did like I did Kundalini yoga for a really long time. And then I I got so disenchanted with Kundalini yoga after having tried many other things that I became a communist. It's kind of like that. That that's what, when I when I was thinking of going along in the three bears, that's exactly what I meant. Didn't see it, don't need to. Didn't see it. Didn't see it. That was another episode of Didn't See It, Don't Need To. Thank you to Rebecca Ackerman for our new Didn't See It, Don't Need To graphics, which we will be debuting this week. And to our music person, Chuck Lindo, who made the Didn't See It, Don't Need To song uh, a couple weeks ago in, in, in maybe like 15 minutes. I, I can't believe it's not a huge hit yet. It's got. I, I think you know. I keep. I keep looking on like the iTunes charts for it to be climbing the charts because it's amazing. It is. It's amazing. And then also thank you to Erica Heilman, who I hope will be becoming a communist soon with my help. Although net right now she's just the editor of this of this show, but I really hope she's on her way. Thank you for listening. And Joshua, have a wonderful evening. Thank you for discussing this film that we will never see. You as well. And I have no idea what movie we're going to be not seeing in two weeks' time, but I'm very excited to find out. As am I. Didn't see it, don't need to. Didn't, 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 didn't see.